Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one. Road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I've been the Meyer League editor for the better part of six seasons, five seasons. 2015 is when I started doing that. Uh, and then uh, I've been the deputy set manager for the past three seasons now. Joining me as often is one Braves MILB himself from Twitter, Garrett Spain. Garrett, how are you, my friend? Doing uh, great. It's been... Kind of fun, you know, keeping up with the draft tracker over on Talking Chops has been kind of, you know, the same it is every year. It's kind of chaotic keeping up with that and keeping up with games. It's been a good week, I guess. Yeah, there's been a bit of a recovery for all of us with the draft kind of in the books. It was obviously last week you got three podcasts out of us uh, recapping each each day of the draft. It, it becomes very – I found it very – it was hard to keep up with everything, especially with the minor league still going on um, and uh, trying to make sure that recaps are going up and then, you know, getting all the picks sort of talked about and getting all those podcasts done. But I do want to say thanks to all of you uh, for really supporting all that draft content. Matt was working extremely hard on kind of the, the guts and the, the framework of what our draft coverage was, but everyone was really chipping in, helping out, finding information and, you know, kind of making sure that draft that draft coverage went off without a hitch. And I think it went up great. And you guys, more importantly, really supported the hell out of it. And I really appreciate all that. Love and support that you gave for that. Because again, when you put in that much work, especially, I mean, it was just 20 rounds this year. Wasn't quite as extreme as it has been in the past when there was 40 rounds, but still a lot of guys and a lot of information to kind of digest. And you guys have really been killing it with, you know, downloading the podcast, reading the site. Really just want to take a minute to say thank you to our listeners in that regard. Um, also make sure that you're looking at the signing tracker because I don't, I, I think it's fair to say that at least 18 signings are going to happen and I would, if I was placing a bet, it would be 19. If I was betting on how many of the, of the 20 players the Braves drafted, that 19 players he had drafted. There's an outside chance that Tyler Evans, uh, their 20 round pick, who's, was very much kind of like a backup plan, uh, but maybe that they find enough money for that to happen. But the, really the story of this class for me and what it's going to look like is what the signing bonuses look like. When we look at, you know, we already have Schwellenbach going under slot. We already have a bunch of guys going under, over slots, uh, under slot. Uh, only the one overslot signing with uh, Shoemaker so far, I think. Uh, we haven't we haven't got numbers on um, Smith Shaver or Collins yet. 
those are kind of the big under overslot signings that we're really looking for. But you know, seeing Schwellenbach being a little bit underslot, we want to see what Kusick ends up signing for. We want to see where the underslots are. Seen some somewhat surprising. Uh, Luke Waddell, I think, is the only guy that was a little bit surprising, being relatively close to slot so far. Is that my right in understanding that? Yeah, I think everybody else has kind of gone about where I figure. But yeah, Waddell at 250 was kind of surprising, especially given that they had given 125 to Dodd. So I would have thought that Dodd would have gotten more than Waddell. But ugh. yeah, amongst this draft class, you know, like again, if you're spending a little bit extra money, and that's still for a senior sign for Dodd. That's you know, like if you're just looking at the senior sign aspect, that's a decent bit of money. But it sounds like Dylan Dodd was very highly thought of and regarded in that draft class, and that a lot of teams wanted him, so they were gonna, they had to put a little bit more money, but it was still way under slot for what he was picking the third round. But we still don't know the first round pick in Kusick, you know, that how how long that process takes in terms of how much money they'll have. Well, I guess it's been kind of a wait and see sort of thing. And the the two overslot signings that were for were for sure are going to be overslot signings in Smith Shaver and Tyler Collins. Those are to be the two guy, two guys that we're really interested in seeing what those bonuses look like to see kind of how much money everything else will shake out to be, I guess is the best way I know how to describe it. But already a good, a good chunk of the class has been signed. You know, it, it's, I think that the signings are going to move fairly quickly this year, but we shall see. Make sure you're looking at that signing tracker tracker. It's like one of our most traffic. It's one of, if not our most traffic posts every year period for the site. Uh, so you guys really do seem to really enjoy it and think it's an important part of what we do on a coverage. But if you're wanting to keep track of like how much the signing bonuses were, how much we end up paying for four guys out of the draft, that's the post that you need to be looking at for sure. Um, so uh, before we kind of get into the level by level recaps, which we do every week here, uh, we actually had some bit of a some news. It wasn't and it wasn't promotions based because we had two trades. Uh, well, since last week last recorded, uh, the big one, uh, first base prospect slash, slash DH prospect, and frankly, probably was turning more into a DH than a first baseman. Uh, Bryce Ball, uh, was very popular prospect amongst Braves fans. Had not looked particularly good for the Rome Braves this year. The you know, strikeout numbers were up, having trouble against breaking balls. Uh, still big time power, had a really big breakout the year he was drafted by the Braves. Uh, was traded to the Cubs for Jock Peterson, who's actually looked really good so far with the Braves. Um, you know, overall, I am perfectly fine with the price here, and I understand that people, you know, are drawing a lot of conclusions about this. But like, you know, maybe he, if he, if he isn't around, then who's the first baseman in the future? If Freddie leaves, which I got to laugh about since he hasn't played against, you know, ball hadn't played against high, above high A yet, and he hadn't played particularly well at high A. Um, but you know, again, you, you hear about a guy that gets, you see him in spring training a little bit, and he does a little bit, and he has a good, you know, first year in the organization. People kind of get their hopes up a little bit, but. For considering the the level of bat that you get with Jack Peterson, I was perfectly fine with you know giving up ball. I think that he certainly wasn't going to move up my rankings. It's very likely that he would have moved down a little bit uh, given his start to this year. So when you're trading kind of that level of prospect for a real major league bat that can really help you in the near term, I was for it. What about you? Yeah, um, I think with you know, I mean, there's a very low chance that ball was going to make an impact with the Braves. I mean, long term. I think he's got the bat skills to do it, but I mean, the team would like to keep Freddie Freeman long term. They're and it's hard. It would be hard to it's just hard for a guy to make it as a DH, right? And so it's not when you're getting a player that a can help the team now and they desperately need outfield help and a guy that 
theoretically, this team will probably try to keep around going forward in the future. I mean, it's a good move for them. It, it helps the team now. I don't think you're really sacrificing the future. I like Ball. I think he's got talent, but I think that it's a good move that helps the team now and probably in the next couple of years as well. Uh, absolutely. And again, I, I think that the chances were decreasing fairly significantly that he was going to make it to the major leagues with the Braves. I, you know, his struggles in high A were kind of frankly startling. You know, he didn't have the same feel for the battle. It seemed like he didn't even have the same approach at the play. He was really struggling with breaking stuff. So it was a little bit disappointing, you know, in terms of seeing the overall return from him. But at the same time, when you can get a real guy like Jock Peterson has a mutual option. So there's a chance that even if they don't come to an agreement on like an, an extension or anything like that, maybe that he, they keep, that he decides to bet himself, bet on himself for one more year. With the Braves, entirely possible, you know, especially if he performs well. So far, so good. He's, he's fitting in well in that, in that dugout too. So overall was a, uh, a big fan of that move to be sure. Uh, the other move uh, was, uh, first base prospect Mason Byrne. And I used that term prospect very loosely as he was a 25 year old down there in rookie ball, uh, was in the Stephen Vogt trade, uh, which brought in another catcher into the organization, which I have thoughts about in terms of why they would do this considering what they have sitting there in Gwinnett. But, uh, you know, for the price, you can't really argue in terms of like in a vacuum, the price for a guy like Vogt who actually is like a major league catcher in some respects. But, you know, what were your thoughts when that trade crossed, crossed the wires? Well, I can say that it does not indicate anything about Freddie Freeman's future. Uh, despite what Twitter commenters will tell you, it does not mean anything for his future. Yeah, Mason, first base uh, prospect, we, we, Mason Byrne. I don't think was anybody not. was counting on Mason Byrne to uh, play in the major leagues. I, I mean – there's literally – you can't complain about it because, I mean, you got something for a player that – there's very, very little chance that Byrne is going to make the major leagues and even less of a chance that he's going to be as good as Vote is. I like Alec Jackson more than Vote, but I, whatever. I mean, I don't think that the difference there is going to be significant enough with Darno going forward to really complain about it too much. They got a reliable catcher. That's fine. It's – better than running Kevin Smith out there every day. <laughs> He's been pretty brutal. Uh, I will say that I would probably be having Alex Jackson up there. Um, I think that just in terms of having another bat, another catcher on the roster, that like there's definitely more upside with Jackson and he has more familiarity with the pitchers. You know, do I still have my severe doubts in that hit tool at the major league level with Alex Jackson? Absolutely, 100%. That hasn't changed a bit. Uh, he's performed. He's had some good games for Gwinnett, to be sure. Uh, and when he's, you know, allowed to mash against AAA guys. It's certainly fun to watch when he does it, but I still don't think he's ending up hitting, but I also don't think that Vogt's going to do much either. So if that's the case, I'm not sure why you make the move. However, I will say that one added benefit of making this move is that, and this is the same with the Bryce Ball move too, is that there are now more roster spots for the 2021 draft class to be put in the minor leagues this year. And that's a non-zero consideration. Instead of, you know, cutting some of these minor leaguers, you know, at the lower levels that really aren't doing anything, you end up trading some guys that you don't think are really going to pan out for you or can can yield a better return than just a roster spot via a cut. And, you know, you move some guys and allows you to kind of put some guys in the minor leagues without necessarily having to cut too many guys. So it's worth considering that there's because we have these set roster limits on minor league players right now after the consolidation of all the of all the affiliates and you can only have so many players in the league in league making those roster spots does have its own value, especially if you're planning on a lot of your guys from your draft class. You want to kind of get them in the full season ball right away. So something to consider there, too, is it's not as simple as just, you know, the you know, the return in for Vogt or whatever. It's just that you also kind of make a little bit of room to it. It's kind of a little bit of added value for you. 
Now that's pretty much all the prospect moves. Again, we haven't seen a lot of a lot of roster roster movement. We did uh, last time since we last recorded. Indo, Indigo Diaz is now at Mississippi, which is frankly about a month overdue for that happening. Um, and you know he's performing well there for Mississippi. But beyond that, we haven't seen a ton of roster movement movement. And I think that feels about right. You know we you know it, the guys who have been moving are the guys that should be moving, and we haven't had a reason to think that we should be moving any guys up to Gwinnett, you know, that have really been screaming for it down in Mississippi. Some guys are performing better down there, and same for the lower levels. The guys who were performing level well at Augusta uh, have already moved up, which is very clear to see now from the current state of the Augusta Green Jackets, but we'll get to that once we talk about the, that quote-unquote team that they've got down there now. Um, but overall, and obviously Drew Waters and Michael Harris also per- Participating in the futures game uh, was a was a pretty big deal too. Drew Waters performing probably the best of the two. Although Michael Harris was putting on a show in batting practice from the sounds of things. So you know those are kind of the big newsy type items. But now we kind of get into the level by level breakdown. We will first start with the Triple A Gwinnett Stripers. Garrett, who's caught your eye down there in Gwinnett? Well, William Contreras went down this week and has and immediately won the league's uh, player of the week because he seems abs- good. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, he's, uh, that's, he had a good week. Um, I, every single game he hit like six doubles last week, five doubles last week. Oh, well, two of them were in the last series. So he hit three doubles last week, three home runs. He had hits in every single game. He just crushed the ball, man. I mean, he had, I think, five RBIs on Sunday or something like that. The catching duo as a whole there, him and Alex Jackson last week, I mean, you, you, they had them back to back in the lineup and you could not get through those two. The, I think Winnett went 6-0 last week. Just, he killed it. He had a 1.440 OPS. I'm actually looking at his numbers right now. 1.440 OPS at Gwinnett. I, I mean, he was hitting so bad at the major league level. And then he went down and like immediately went right back to what he was doing at the beginning when he first got called up and has just been destroying the ball. It's insane. Uh, the other one I want to look at is Drew Waters. Uh, he was looking really – right before the Futures game, he was playing the best he's played all season. He was putting the ball in play more. He really was not striking out a ton. He came out of the Futures game this week and was pretty horrible. I mean, he had some extra base hits. He hit the ball hard when he made contact, but he had like 12 – he had 12 strikeouts in five games, which is – the exact opposite of what you want to see him do. It just, he was making a lot of progress. And for whatever reason, whether it was that break, whether it's just, this just kind of happened to be what it was. Uh, he struggled last week with making contact. And it's kind of a thing where he was starting to turn the season around after having a really, really bad stretch. And now he's kind of right back into another bad stretch. And, Hopefully this is just a short little blip and he's going to go right back to it, but he's definitely did not perform as well. I was hoping he was going to keep that kind of uh, streak going that he had, and he really didn't do that last week. Yeah, it was a little bit disappointing, but again, it's a fairly small sample size. wasn't like it certainly wasn't the the greatest of um, the great the greatest of weeks for him. But at the same time, he did perform well in the futures game too. So. You know, maybe there was a little bit of a hangover from that. Maybe there's just, you know, just again, just guys have rough weeks. And, you know, before that, he had been hitting really, really well. So hopefully he can kind of get back on track relatively soon. He's, he can be a bit of a streaky hitter. So hopefully he can kind of figure that figure that out and figure out what's going on. Um, a couple guys I want to talk about. Uh, so since we last recorded, Travis Demerit actually returned. Uh, he had been put on the seven-day IL like the second week of June and hadn't played 
throughout the rest of June and returned on July 10th in a pinch hitting appearance. He has made played in five games, including that pinch hitting appearance, and he's homered in four of them. He's been hitting very, very well since coming off the injured list. Uh, a healthy 944 OPS uh, <laughs> since returning, which, you know, it's actually, it's actually worse than that. It's actually better than that, isn't it? Yeah, he's slug. I'm sorry, he's slugging 944. Uh, so, you know, again, you know, a healthy 1400 OPS seems pretty good. You know, again, not sustainable. We've seen kind of stretches where he's gone kind of wild before, but he was hitting really well before he went onto the injured list. He had a hit in straight in like five straight games going there, and then goes on the injured list, comes right back, and has hasn't missed a beat. You know, get, again, hitting the home runs. Uh, getting plenty of hits too. You know, there's still a bit of a swing and miss in his game. He still likes to strike out. But one of the best things about Demerit is the amount of backspin that he gets on his fly balls. Like you see these balls he hits, and they just look like they're gonna be routine fly balls. But just the amount of spin that he gets on his pitches on 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 when he hits these fly balls, they just carry so far. And it seems to really suit his game well. Again, I don't know if he ends up being like a, a potential option for the Braves going forward, uh, even in like a short term role, but. He's hitting really well, and you know it's kind of a, a team that really needs some outfield help at times. Uh, definitely a guy that to kind of keep an eye on for his production. Obviously, you mentioned Alex Jackson's performed really well um, intermittently. He definitely has those games where he's like 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. That's again a frustrating part of what Alex is, but he's also a guy who seems to continually get up big hits. Johan Camargo's had a really good stretch lately as well. Uh, I do want to uh, highlight a guy who hasn't been particularly good, and he hasn't been particularly good for a while, and that's Jaciel De La Cruz. Uh, I'm getting to the point now where I'm concerned that the command has got that has taken such a step back that I'm more thinking that he's far more likely to be a reliever. Um, you know, we can split hairs as to why that's the case. You know, the, the moves that he's kind of at, the roster moves they've made with him early in the season that that impact him. I'm a little bit skeptical that that's the case because he wasn't pitching pitching particularly well before he got called up that one time, and you know, I just don't. I just don't see it. I wonder, you know, maybe you wonder a little bit if he's completely healthy. You wonder a little bit about what's going on with him because the command isn't there. He just can't find the strike zone reliably. And he's been hit pretty hard, too. That's really not a good combination is when you're getting a lot of guys on base via free passes and you're also getting hit pretty hard, too. So a little bit disappointing to see that, you know, especially for a Gwinnett rotation that, frankly, is either on the injured list because they got injured at the major league level or they're at the major league level right now in the case of Kyle Muller, who has been really good for the Braves. Uh, pitches tomorrow uh, – and we'll have quite the test tomorrow uh, against the San Diego Padres as we record this. We'll see how he does the, um, up there in Atlanta. But, you know, again, for that Gwinnett rotation, you know, they don't necessarily need a guy to take a big step back. And unfortunately, in the case of Jaseel, it looks like that he has this year. Uh, let's go to Mississippi next, Garrett. Uh, this team has been playing very well lately, and they've been getting help from a lot of spots in that lineup. Uh, give me a couple of guys that you want to talk about there. Uh, I watched Spencer Striders. Um I want to talk about Spencer Strider's last start. I watched him really closely last start. Um, I kind of broke it down a little bit on Twitter, but he kind of, obviously, it was a good show in that you could kind of tell from the beginning that he really didn't have it all the way. You know, he, it, his stuff kind of flashed in and out, but he didn't consistently, wasn't able to put the ball where he wanted to, like he has been at certain times this year. And uh, he still had a really good start. Uh, he gave up a home run that was really the only particularly hard hit ball he had early in the game his his curveball wasn't very good he was relying on a fastball he was able to adjust around the third inning get the curveball start to get it make competitive pitches with that get a lot of strikeouts um with that pitch he later in the game you know they started making more contact you know second third time through the order they started to hit him more and he started to kind of make more 
contact-oriented pitches that got weaker contact, right? And so I think – and that might not have been intentional. That might have just been where the ball went. But he started getting weaker contact, whereas early in the game he had given up some harder hit balls. He got weaker contact, focused through more strikes as the game went on. And you could see him kind of – the biggest thing you want to see with young pitchers is can they adjust during games? Can they adjust start to start? You can kind of see that with him where he's able to – recognize what he's doing wrong in the game, make the adjustment and kind of come out and get better as the game goes on. And that's going to bode well for him going in the future. Uh, on the offensive side, the player that's really been impressing lately is Trey Harris. Um, Harris was really bad to start the season. I mean, he beginning of the season, I, you know, he had like four or five hits of uh, four or five extra base hits coming into this month. And he has been crushing it the entirety of July. Uh, for July, he has a 923 OPS. This last week, he had hits in all five games. He had three extra base hits. I mean, he, he's starting to hit the ball harder and with more authority. And I think that that's, we kind of expected coming into the season that he was going to hit well. And he didn't. And I think a lot of that was he kind of got set back by not being at the alternate site last year and not being able to get those at bats. Now he's started to adjust again, and he's really hitting the ball hard and showing the power that we know he has. And kind of this is the point where we're seeing the guy that we thought was going to be fairly close to, you know, getting to the major leagues in some capacity this season. Well, he's not there, but he kind of he's pushing. He's getting to the point to where he's going to push for a call up if he continues to hit like this and hitting for power in the Southern Double A South, whatever is not an easy task, and he's been doing it very well lately. He hit one out the opposite field, I think, the first game of the series that carried very well, and I'm starting to see a lot more of what we saw early in his career that intrigued us. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, Trey has, Trey's been kind of a revelation, and once he gets going, that it seems like that, that lineup really wakes up. Um, they don't like the, the, the inconsistent production they've gotten from C.J. Alexander and Grayson Janista, which is – putting it kindly in those two guys' cases where they, you know, they'll have a good game here and there, but most of the time they've been kind of black holes in that lineup. When you don't have Trey kind of in the, the you know, the top half of that lineup making things happen and getting on base, it makes everything a little bit harder because, again, Justin Dean's a guy that, you know, has been getting on base at a good clip, but isn't, like, the hit tool's an open question. He doesn't really get a lot of things done. Uh, the, the Mississippi's been without Braden Shoemake since the July 11th, uh, not on the injured list, don't really know what's going on with COVID and all that other stuff. You just don't really ever know what the situation is to why he hasn't been playing. He was playing well, though. The month of July had treated him really well, and now you, know, you worry that there's been taking a bit of a, a step back. It was funny. In Braden's case, I actually was looking earlier kind of how the month of July had been going for him, and you know he hit safely for in all but one game this month. But he had not drawn a single walk in the month of July, which is a little bit interesting. Uh, but the way he was hitting, it was you know it wasn't a big deal, and it was a relatively small sample size of like eight games or something like that. So this is something that kind of caught my eye. But again, we don't we we have no reason to believe that there's some major injury or anything like that because he hasn't been placed on the injured list. We didn't see anything in the games that made us think that something had happened. We're not really sure exactly what's going on, but he hasn't played in a while, so it's definitely worth calling that out. Um, but, you know, again, with this Mississippi offense, you know, Shea Langoliers, he, he had that really hot stretch earlier in the season. He's been more in, inconsistent, I'd say, but he's still, you know, he's still producing at the plate, and the catching has looked really, really good uh, from him as well, just, uh, you know, behind the plate. He's calling really, really good games. 
uh, and seems to be managing that staff really, really well. Speaking of a member of that staff, can we talk a little bit about Bryce Elder being kind of losing his mind? Uh, last two starts, the first one, he was a part of a no-hitter. The second start, he looked a little rough early in the game and then still ended up throwing deep into the game. He's been very, very impressive, you know, in terms of his ability to, you know, kind of get himself out of jams. Uh, gets a lot of weak contact. He's been missing more bats than I thought he would too. So really like what I'm seeing from Elder. He's looked really impressive after a pretty aggressive promotion up the double A, uh, fairly recently. Um, one guy that's turned into a bit of a pumpkin, unfortunately, is Odalvi Javier, which frankly I expected to happen. He had been pitching really, really well for Mississippi early on in the season, but, uh, the last four starts not, have not been so hot. Uh, but again, this is kind of a guy who was playing a little bit above his head to begin with. Uh, I, I think it's fair to call him a fringe prospect in a lot of ways. He's kind of, you know, has been around and pitches well enough sometimes that you kind of, well, maybe he kind of turns into something and then he has stretches where like, that's right. He kind of, you know, has come, uh, come back down to earth a little bit. Uh, one thing to mention about Strider too is that, you know, he just didn't pitch all that much, uh, for a long time. And, you know, he's at 50 innings already. Uh, the one start, but this last start, you know, he didn't have his best stuff. The start before that, he didn't even escape the first inning and he just like walked a bunch of guys. The final line looked significantly worse because they brought, Kurt Hawkstrillian, uh, I, you know, on a fairly, you know, quickly realizing that he just wasn't, you know, Spencer wasn't throwing strikes at all. And when you kind of warm, warm up a guy quickly, you know, some inherited base runners ended up scoring in ways that were less than ideal. So the final line was almost, you know, when you have five runs in less than an inning, it looks really bad, but he didn't give up a hit in that game. So it seems like, you know, those inherited runners scoring was kind of a bit of a bummer, unfortunately. But again, that's a, a game where he just didn't have it. It doesn't seem like there's any injury issues. Talked to a few people. sound like he's not dealing with anything. Just had a bad day. And that's some of the things that happen. And when he comes back and bounces back and gives up just one run in the next outing, it seems like, you know, he's, you know, you're going to have stretches where, you know, you're, Get, when you haven't thrown a lot, especially, you get a little bit more tired as the season goes on. You know, how you adapt and, you know, how you deal with the not having your best stuff on a given day. Something worth kind of thinking about as we go forward talking about Spencer because, you know, they're not going to just run him out there for 140 innings this year. He, you know, he just didn't pitch enough and he's still kind of coming, building back up. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they manage that, that load for him going forward in terms of his pitch count, in terms of how many innings he's throwing, you know, maybe even you kind of manage him further beyond that. So, Something that I wanted to think about and talk about before we kind of go into our break here. When we And when we come back from this word from our sponsors, we will talk about Rome and the Augusta Green Jackets and, you know, have some closing thoughts. But before that, let's take a quick break. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, Garrett, let's talk a little bit about Rome and then, unfortunately, the Augusta Green Jackets. Uh, talk to me about your guys at Rome that have got your eye. 
I just want to go back to Gwinnett for just a second. We forgot to mention uh, Christian Pache on Saturday. He left in the middle of the game. He That's right. Had it right, bat, yep. hadn't it bat, struck out. They batted around. He didn't bat the second time. He was pulled from the game. He did not play Sunday. Didn't really see much there. It's worth mentioning that he was pulled from a game and he probably had a minor injury. It doesn't look like – I don't think it's anything major. Uh, but he, he it's worth mentioning that he did have an injury. So we'll keep an eye on that and kind of see how much he plays this week because he's kind of – he struggled with that this year. He struggled with multiple times where he's – Started, played a few games, and then got hurt and had to miss a few games. So it's going to yeah, be he's definitely got some nagging. He's got some nagging stuff yeah. going on for sure. Yeah, so it's 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 going to make it much harder for him to, uh, you know, we worry about his bat. Well, he's not being able to get consistent at bats. It's going to make it hard for him this season. I I, I think this is pretty much going to be a a lost season for him in a way, unfortunately. And it's just it's a bad time, but it is what it is. I think. Um, so Rome. On a lighter note. Um, Michael Harris has – his numbers have not been very good lately, right? Like he's no. been – and and a lot of it has been he's hit a lot of ground balls, which he's been doing all year. You know, he's – his contact isn't great, but he's overall – I mean, the last few weeks, he's been a lot better than the numbers have said in terms of he's drawing more walks than he did earlier in this season. He's still not like, – he's not – He's striking out less than anybody else, you know, at that level, especially at his age, which is incredibly impressive. He's hitting a ton of line drives. You know, unfortunately, we're not seeing the power consistently. It's kind of he'll have a few games where he hits for power. This last week, he didn't really hit for any power. He really didn't hit the ball all that hard at all this last week. But it's kind of a we're seeing good in him in that we're seeing him make contact. We're seeing him draw some more walks, but we're also seeing some, you know, we're seeing a guy that played both ways in high school and didn't get a ton of at bats under his belt, and that there is some immaturity in some of the swings that he takes, and he's not as consistently driving the ball that we know he can. I mean, we saw the BP video in uh, from the Futures game, and he was mashing the ball, and he hasn't quite gotten to the point to where he's putting that in games yet all the time, but. You know, you see the makings of it. Defensively, he's improving every day, and he is. You know, I had questions about whether he can stick in center field, and I think right now, I, you know, I don't think that he's going to be an elite center fielder, but I think he can play it at an average level. He has enough speed, and his instincts are very have improved significantly out there. He takes good routes. He's very technically sound, and he's learned it fairly quickly. So I think he'll stick in center field. Um, the other one that I want to go to is Darius Vines. Um, the more that I watch Vines, the more he impresses me. And he hasn't like he's gone up to Rome. He got he's had four starts in Rome now, and he's pretty much he had one kind of bad start, but overall, I mean, he has a two point six five ERA. He's fairly consistently gonna give you five innings. He'll walk a batter or two here and there. He'll strike out a batter an inning. He's gonna give up fairly soft contact. He's looked really, really good. And he's kind of when he performed well at low A, it was kinda like, okay, yeah. He's a college guy. He's performing at low A. These guys are not very good this year. But he's doing it at high A now, and he's this is kind of the level that you wanted to see him perform at, and he's pitching fairly well. He's not tearing the world up, right? He's not striking out a ton of batters. He's not throwing out ridiculous – he hasn't thrown out, like, a ridiculous game yet, but he's consistently going in there, throwing enough strikes, 
having good enough stuff, pitching fairly deep in the games. I mean, I've liked what I've seen out of him. I think that Vines has legitimately positioned himself as a pitching prospect in this system and as a guy that's going to start going forward and you think, hey, he does have a chance to start at the major league level. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like what I've seen from Vines, you know, in terms of his time in Rome. The only thing is that you're just seeing a little bit more swing and miss, which is frankly not that surprising when you have a guy that's promoted up to the next level and you kind of want to see if those secondaries can continue to kind of keep guys off balance. And as he gets better at that sequencing and he kind of understands what his stuff is and the adjustments that he needs to make in game based on how his stuff is looking, I think that's going to improve. And he certainly hasn't looked bad at all. And I think he's, I think he's actually looked quite good for in those four start sample. The one start against Wilmington was not particularly great, but you know, it seemed like that everyone was kind of struggling uh, early on in that game, especially. So I didn't really hold that too much against him. It's not, there was nothing that was like a big red flag or anything like that. And he came back and he threw two really, good starts um so those are two guys that definitely are you always want to mention michael harris usually because frankly people will get will freak out you know what happened to harris is he still doing well he's still doing well but i do want to say that you know in terms of what our expectations were i i, I thought he was going to perform well in rome uh, i thought we were going to see a little bit more power of him in games we haven't seen that and you know there's issues about his approach that he seems to be working on we're seeing him walk a little bit more now and I think that's something he's actively working on. So maybe that's part of like kind of what we're seeing in terms of how these, some of these are, that's are going to, he's wanting to work deeper counts and see and prove that he can get on base at a good clip. But you know, overall, like again, it's part of the development process. I still think the world of him is a prospect. I think he's really, really good. I help. I have him currently tentatively in my top five for sure uh, in the Braves farm system. But again, it's worth mentioning that, you know, he's not a finished product. He's not something he's going to necessarily jump up up there next year. Even, you know, he's just going to take some time in terms of refining that approach, letting that power playing games kind of lifting the ball a little bit more. And, that comes with you know time and frankly this is his first real season and full season ball so not something that we're super concerned about uh i would be remiss and frankly brad would brad would be yelling at me if we don't talk about jesse franklin this guy he he's not been like insane necessarily of late um but i say that as a you know we're sitting here on Mar on july 19th uh and in the month of july here he still has seven uh, seven home runs uh, uh, that 746 slugging percentage. He's walking at a big clip. It seems like pitchers have figured out that they really need to be careful around him. He's st he just seems to consistently get big hits. He's really good with runners on base. He seems like he is the guy on that Rome roster right now that when they are runners on and they need to get a big hit to kind of put together a big inning, he seems to come up often and he seems to deliver more often than not. And, you know, again, you know, the number, the, the the average and kind of the overall production hasn't been quite as crazy as it was when he was, you know, going wild in June. But he's still been producing at a really high level, and you know he's really patient at the plate. Seems like he's still he's still hitting the ball with authority too. No, I mean, has there been a little bit of a cool off? Yeah, but there was no maintaining what he was doing in June, and he's still been performing really well. And the power numbers are still there. He's again just really really impressive. Uh, a guy that I had frankly I hadn't written him off after that first month of the season where he was so bad. Uh, but you know, to see what he's done the last couple months has been really, really fun to watch. Um, another guy that I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, and it's a guy that I get questions about occasionally, uh, and it's based primarily on his draft position is Bo Phillip, uh, the Braves 2019 second rounder. Uh, after the Braves took Shay Langliers and Bo and Braden Shoemake, they took Bo Phillip. He wasn't under slot signing, so it's not like you know, like necessarily a true second round talent necessarily, but a guy that, you know, based on his draft position, you'd think he'd be performing a little better. And to be blunt, he's been, frankly, awful this year. Um, and the last month's been particularly bad. He, again, he was only hitting like 212 after the first month of the season. Wasn't much better in June. But this the, for the month of July, which, again, is a fairly high sample size because he's been playing quite a bit, he has a total of eight hits. Batting 151, you know, 
OPS just over 500. This, this that's just not going to get it done. And when you kind of think about guys that a, a college bat that you think would be performing much better than that, just at high A, you know, he had a track record of producing in college, and he's just not done that as a Brave. You know, he looked okay in his in his full season debut when he was drafted, but after that, it's just it's been frankly disappointing and you know you don't you know he'll have his occasional decent game here and there he had a couple good games at the beginning of the month but you know the last what last probably 10 games i think last let me just take a peek here the last 12 games he has a total of two hits just not what you're looking for from a guy who you think at least could be producing maybe he doesn't have an impact bat where he does have hits for a bunch of power but he hasn't really been doing much of anything uh down there in rome which again for a guy that you know has you invested a high draft pick on even if it was an under slot signing you would like wish you could get a little bit more out of all right, Garrett, we're at the Augusta Green Jackets, and I will go ahead and say this. The current state of the Augusta Green Jackets roster is, and I've been, I've, it's been a couple podcasts where I've mentioned this, is really, really tough. The guys who are producing well for that team uh, have already been promoted, particularly on the pitching side, when we have both Darius Vines and Spencer Strider getting promoted from up there. And the offense was always, it felt like, kind of cobbling together a bunch of walks in the hopes that a couple guys who have, can hit okay, we'll get something done. I'm looking at you, Cade Bunnell. I'm looking at you, Vaughn Grissom. Um, and I'm looking at you, Willie Carter, kind of getting things done. But the last few weeks have been really, really brutal to watch. And I am really, really excited to potentially get some more blood, new blood, I guess, on the, on the Screen Jackers roster, particularly on the offensive side. Uh, where neither side has been particularly good. They've been getting shelled this past week by arguably a really good, one of the better teams in low A, but they've been getting annihilated like in record fashion. Uh, so I'm excited to see some new faces on this roster, be sure. But talk to me a little bit of guys who some caught your, have caught your eye. Well, Von Grissom came back, which is really good. But the only yep, good thing yep. that happened this week for them, uh, pretty much. Uh, Three good games. I mean, he had three hits. He had a couple in his first game, one in his second. Didn't have any in his last game, but three hits in three games. Didn't strike out at all. Drew four walks, stole a couple of bases. He had a really good week Um, offensively. Uh, he committed like three errors in one game. So, you know. That, that's not great. Defensively, not he's great. a work in progress, right? He's he's probably not going to stick at shortstop. It is what it is. Uh, but he hit really well. I mean, that's a big deal for him. It's still not showing a ton of power, still a lot of ground balls, but hitting the ball hard, drawing a lot of walks, no strikeouts. I mean, what he's done in terms of his walks and strikeouts this year, again, the level's not that good. The whole level as a whole is very, very bad, but he's done a really, really good job. For a guy making his full season debut, he's done fantastically. I cannot complain about that. You would like to see some power, but you do see flashes of it where you say, okay, when he starts lifting the ball, if assuming he starts lifting the ball, he is going to hit for more power. He definitely has the raw power to do it. And I mean, in terms of consistently making contact, hitting the ball hard, working good counts, he's been the best hitter on that team this year. It's, it's been really nice to see, you know, I think the hit tool for him was the biggest question outside of whether he would stick at shortstop. And right now he's kind of answering that question fairly well. Like this guy can hit. And he can hit fairly well. Um, that's really it. They literally, I, I tweeted this. They allowed 32 runs to the River Dogs in between getting two hits on offense. They had a hit in the second inning of one game, allowed 22 runs after that, then allowed 10 runs in the next game before they got the next hit. 
which is it's not I good can't, it's not good at all you can't possibly do that poorly like that's the worst stretch of play i think i've ever i that is the worst stretch of play i've ever seen you can't possibly do worse than that um um joey estes we have to talk about him pretty much every week uh his last start was not that good walked a few guys and now granted this is a good team that he was facing right and good teams are going to hit him sometimes. So he didn't have their best start. He's had a bunch of good starts this year. His last start last week was fantastic. Uh, you know, he had, he didn't have his best command. It didn't look that great. He only went four innings, but overall, you know, it wasn't the worst start in the world. He didn't completely disintegrate out there, but it's definitely wasn't. He had the best start of the week and he gave up three runs in four innings, which kind of tells you about how it went this week. Yeah, it was tough. That was actually the two guys that I was, I think were actually worth mentioning. I mean, again, you can, like, occasional decent games here and there from, like, Abralio Vesquez, where, you know, he, like, walks once and somehow three, steals three bases. He'll run into a ball and hit a home run. Willie Carter's kind of the same, well, not stealing the bases, but, uh, will, you know, have a decent game here and there. Cade Bunnell has been their best offensive player and certainly the most consistent one by a mile, but the rest of that lineup is really tough and they've been promoting their pitchers pretty aggressively out of Augusta, with a notable exception of Estes, who has been largely a bright spot, you know, had a, a bit of a rough end to the month of June, had two really good starts to start July, and then his last start, obviously, as you mentioned, wasn't particularly great, didn't really have his best stuff, had trouble finding the strike zone, uh, against a particularly patient team, too, so, but again, only gave up two hits in that game, so, you know, you, you, you'll take some of that from a development from a really young pitcher who seems to have really good stuff. Uh, I don't think he's a guy who's walking that much. I mean, he walked four guys in four innings, and he's just not that guy. But he occasionally has games where it just doesn't seem like he has his best stuff. But I like the swing and miss that you get out of Estes. I like the development that I'm seeing out of him. And, you know, considering what the rest of that roster looks like, overall, you know, he's definitely a guy worth watching. Uh, Another guy who has not looked particularly good is Jared Johnson. Um, we had high hopes for him. And he, uh, Matt, Matt remains a big fan of his, but that is a re- he. The, the velocity is not the problem with Jared. It's the that he needs to figure out how to spin a fastball. He needs to figure out how to get some more action on his pitches because the fastball is really really flat. And even if you're throwing 96, 97, if you're throwing it like right in the zone and they know it's coming and they get a good look at it, it seems like he's going to get teed up a lot. And it seems like that you know. Hitters are getting a good look at that pitch coming out of his hand. He's getting a look, good look at all the pitches coming out of his hand. And he's having trouble throwing strikes. So when you kind of get all those things put together, it's just not a particularly great recipe. Uh, it seems like he's got, if he is going to be a legitimate prospect, he has a long way to go. And there's just no other way to say it, and, you know, in terms of, you know, his development. And, you know, he has time. He's, there's certainly talent in that arm, but he's got to figure some things out, uh, particularly getting more spin on his pitches and getting more getting more life on them because, you know, again, it just seems like, you know, hitters are getting a long look. With the, his delivery is not particularly deceptive. So when you aren't really deceptive and the ball coming out of your hand is in a straight line to where the catcher's mid is, you're going to have a tough time, and that's going to be true of anybody. Um, which brings me to, you know, some talk a little bit about draft guys. You know, I don't think necessarily – after talking to some people, talking to some scouts, it sounds like that guys like Spencer Schwellenbach uh, and Dylan Dodd have, have played a whole lot this year, and it's entirely possible we won't see them in full season ball. ball. Not so certain about Kusick. I'm not sure exactly how they're going to handle him. But I could see some, like, you know, like Caleb Durbins, who's like a really interesting name. Cal Connolly's another really interesting guy. You know, I could see some of the, some of the arms that they're picking starting off full season ball, particularly some of the other college arms. I could see them starting in full season ball down there in Augusta, and that makes that team a whole lot better. 
and a whole lot more interesting to watch. Because again, right now we're just, uh, there's a whole lot of undrafted free agents on that lower uh, that that Augusta Green Jackets roster, and we've seen the the roster spots that have been made by moves this past week, along with some cuts that frankly you know probably need to be made, or maybe some guys moving down into you know the Florida Coast League down there in the rookie ball to kind of figure some things out. This is a team that I think can get significantly better. There's an outside chance that we could see Caden Morton on this team as well, who's been playing. Okay, uh, he's certainly had some decent games and some not so decent games down there in rookie ball. So, but we're going to see a lot of changes on this Augusta, Augusta Green Jackets roster. I sincerely hope because you know, the, frankly, the idea of recapping Augusta Green Jackets games uh, has become more of a comedy of errors uh, than anything else right now. But again, that's just the state of what the system is right now. There's just not a much deep depth down there right now when you have no ability to sign international free agents and then you only have a five round draft where you can't really fill out the lower levels. Uh, as well as you'd like last year, you know, depth's going to be a problem. And hopefully that now coming out of this draft, they're going to be able to get some more bodies in there that can have some more talent and be some more interesting games to watch. Um, Garrett, before we let everyone go, is there anything else you want to share with folks? Nope, I'm good. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Uh, I am tentatively supposed to be talking soon with uh, Spencer Schwellenbach, the Braves' uh, second-round pick out of the draft. I'm not exactly sure when that interview is going to be happening. Uh, I just have to get you know get with him and figure out exactly what time works best for them in terms of you know getting that interview. So I don't know if that necessarily goes up this week, uh, but hopefully in the next couple weeks we'll have a chat with him. Um, and as you know, as the draft season progresses and guys are signing and kind of getting more comfortable, we're going to hopefully be able to get in contact with some of these guys, bring some more of those interview-type content to you guys over on Talking Chop. If you want to make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, all you need to go do is go to your favorite podcast purveyor and look for the Talking Chop podcast feed. You'll not only find this podcast, which comes out every Monday night, uh, since we don't have any games to cover, we might as well talk about Manor League Baseball some more, uh, but you also get the Talking Chop flagship podcast, which is hosted by the great Brad, Brad Roland. I am a regular co-host on that program as well. Uh, and there's also going to be some, I, I'm not exactly sure if and when that, that's, this is going to be rolling out, but we're also going to be having some additional content coming out on the podcast feed very, very soon. Make sure you keep an eye out for that. Uh, some other kind of short form type content uh, coming from some different voices, hopefully. So we'll kind of be livening up the feed a good bit. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be definitely a feed that you want to be subscribed to for a lot of different variety of content, to be sure. So make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave us a five-star review. We really appreciate all the support on the podcast recently. Uh, the draft podcast were, were, went great. Obviously, all the content on the site has been blowing up with the draft coming up. So we just want to say, again, thank you all so much. We can't do this without all of y'all support. And you've been absolutely killing it. And until next time, we'll see you on the road. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.